Guys, my book, Leaving and Finding Jesus, is available now on Amazon and our website, afamilystory.org. All right, let's get to the podcast. Just had Felicia Merle on the podcast, and you guys are in for a treat. I've wanted to have Felicia on for a little while. Derek couldn't be on this interview, so I got her all to myself. It was a an amazing conversation. Felicia's a writer, a speaker. She's been a pastor. She's an incredible communicator. At the end of the day, she's just a person who knows the love of God, and her life is marked by it. This conversation, uh, we talked about the love of our Father, some of the transformational encounters that she had with God, talked about how she experienced a moment with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm going to quote her. Uh, she felt very clearly Spirit was asking me to hand to her everything I believed to be true about God. And she would give back to me what is truth, capital T. And so we dove into uh, this objective truth, this capital T truth that is the measureless love of God. And if there was one theme that w- was woven through the whole conversation, it would be just that, uh, the nature of the love of God being trustworthy. It's a sure foundation. We talked about racism. We talked about systemic racism. We talked about fear and shame and how any conversation around racism or anytime we address it in the context of fear and shame, there will be a tendency to put up walls, become defensive, and how the way forward is revealed in the relationship of the Trinity, a face-to-face-to-face relationship and the quality that uh, they experience. We talk about inclusion. We talk about, I, I think most of all, we kept coming back to the theme of trust uh, and that that would be the way forward. We talked about the church, where it is today and where our hopes are for tomorrow. I, I can't tell you how encouraged I am right now, having just spent an hour with Felicia. She is uh, clearly a friend of God. And, and it's, it's always an honor uh, when I get to hang out with friends of God, those who are confident, not arrogant, not certain, just confident that the love of God is enough, and not just enough, more than enough, to bring transformation and life and wholeness to this, this world. So you can find her on Instagram at hellofelicia underscore Merle, hello, F-E-L-I-C-I-A underscore M-U-R-R-E-L-L, follow her on Instagram. And she's connected with a lot of the folks you'll find on Open Table Talks, hosted by John McMurray. I think we've had a lot of folks who have been a part of the Open Table Conference and Open Table Talks uh, on our podcast. Love those guys. Guys, we're listener-supported, so if you want to give to support the podcast, you can do that at afamilystory.org, and that would be awesome. Also, my book is out, Leaving and Finding Jesus. You can get that at Amazon or at our website, afamilystory.org. Hey, if this podcast is encouraging, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a message on YouTube. Send me an email, jason at afamilystory.org. If you have anyone you think we should have on, let us know. Send us testimonies or questions. We'd love to interact with you guys. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Clark is, and on Facebook, Jason L. Clark. And you can find Derek on Twitter and Instagram also at Pastor Derek T. As always, guys, honored to be on this journey with you and to have these rich conversations. I'm, I'm just blessed. This. And this is a really good one. 
All right, Felicia Murrow. Good to have you. I am. I am excited. I've been so excited about this uh, this particular connection. We've already been talking about how we have all these uh, cross connections over the years, from Rich and Lindy Oliver to to Randall Worley, Randall Penny Worley, and but I have been so excited about having you on um, because of uh, some of the interviews I've watched recently with you and Brad Jerzak. I know you're friends with him, and and then the Open Table. You've been a part of that, and those guys have really that whole. Um, that whole group of people that, that are part of that. Uh, we've had a whole lot of those guys on the podcast, actually. No way above my pay grade, but I'm glad to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think so. I think uh, I, I love to hear your thoughts and I love your, um, your heart of, reconciliation it just flows through you so i don't want to take too much time could you introduce yourself felicia uh to the folks a little bit about who you are your husband uh, some of your background and then we'll just kind of dive in yeah absolutely so i'm felicia merle we always say merle like pearl is the easiest way to remember the pronunciation of the last name um and doug is from nashville tennessee that's where we met we've been together 31 years um, he was a uh, military naval officer for years and then resigned his naval commission to go into vocational ministry. Yeah. So our life together has been a lot of church leadership, um, pastoral staff. He was um, executive pastor at a very large church in Virginia Beach, Virginia for a number of years. And it was there that we were introduced to um the Toronto Blessing and the movement out of Toronto with um, yeah. John and Carol Arnott and um, the whole Cast the Fire movement. Yeah. And that led us into kind of from there to uh, Bethel and Bill and Benny Johnson in Reading and yeah. how, which is how we became friends with Rich yeah. and Lindy Oliver and became elders on River staff yeah. um, with River Fellowship. And then I went from being a pastor's wife to actually co-pastoring with Doug. We struck out and uh, planted a very small church um, in Virginia, ourselves kind of based um, on Bethel Redding's philosophy and ways of teaching. Yeah. And um, we did that for a while. And then Doug really believed in bivocational ministry um, to you know, not have the ministry support us as a family. But what that meant was trying to find work in the Hampton Roads area became very difficult. Yeah. And so it led us to ultimately make a decision to close our church and relocate to Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. And so for over a decade, we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we were a part of Bethel's church there. In Atlanta, yeah. We were not on staff, but just apart and yeah. then volunteering and helping out however we could. Um, and Doug worked for Habitat for Humanity International. Oh, Habitat cool. Okay. And so, so our journey kind of went from being pastors, pastor's wife, co-pastors together, preaching and teaching at Sunday, um, leading a ministry school, doing uh, ordinations for people in ministry, that kind of thing, to being parishioners again and just kind of walking with God. And um, during that season, I was also traveling with Father Heart Ministries, which is a ministry out of um, New Zealand, with James and East yeah. Jordan. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so doing a lot with the Father Heart teams, teaching 
uh, Revelation of Father's Love in schools yeah. Yeah. throughout different places. And, and then that led to an invitation, I would always call it, by spirit to hand to the divine everything that I believe to be true about God uh-huh. and to allow spirit to hand back to me everything <laughs> that was true. Uh-huh. And um, I thought that was kind of a one-time, one-and-done yes <laughs> thing. And it just became a journey, a journey of trust, a journey of surrender, a journey of detaching from some things and um, really anchoring myself in the love that I was sharing with everyone else and the love that had transformed me, but yeah. allowing there to be freedom and allowing freedom yeah. to be the structure that governed that love. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's me and my multicolored. Yes. You um, started writing somewhere in there because you've got a book called Truth Encounters. Uh, have you written anything else? I am currently in the process of working with my editor and on my second book. And I hope that yeah. it will be out in the first quarter of 2023. So that's fingers crossed. I was reading uh, the prologue to Truth Encounters and was like, my goodness, she is a gifted writer, um, storyteller. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, Jason. I love your books. So. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, I was blown away. I, the, the, you're a brilliant storyteller. And uh, I mean, that that prologue is pretty powerful. I haven't read the book, but I, I'm planning on it. But I have read a whole lot of um, articles. Like I said, I've, I've listened to some interviews with you. And I want to touch on this because this would be a good place to start. You, you, you were asked uh, in a particular article a question uh, about maybe some transformative moments in your life, and you highlighted two. And one of them, and it, it, it felt very similar to my journey because uh, you know my first books were about the love of our Father. My first books were the discovery of his affection, that Jesus didn't just come to, uh, to reveal a father, but he revealed what it looks like to live confident as a child. Uh, he lived from his father's pleasure. And this, this was maybe the first most transformative encounter I had. Um, it was an actual mystical, and, and I think you recognize there's two major transformative moments in your life. One was a, a, an encounter with the love of God, which is about taking you into a place of trust, I would guess. And then the second is what you just talked about. And, and, and I'm going to quote you because I, I was like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. But uh, the other key moment happened almost a decade ago, uh, and it may be longer than that now. Uh, I felt very clearly Spirit was asking me to hand to her everything I believed to be true about God, and she would give back to me what is truth. Uh, I would love for you to maybe start with that encounter with the love of God, because I, I think that's the foundational thing, because from there, trust is is everything and and from there uh you you actually can now hand the keys of your hand the certainties to 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 a good father to a good holy spirit and begin to go down that unnerving some people would call it even deconstruction right that to, to that foundational place of that is the cornerstone that is god and christ reconciling the world so maybe let's start there with those two those two moments if yeah. you could. I, I think for me, um, truth is rooted in the soil of love. And I, you know, even with years of being in church, um, even as a child, I, I grew up in church, so I'm no stranger to church. But I grew up in a type of church where 
I don't ever recall really a preacher ever saying, you have a father in heaven and he loves you. I don't remember the language of love. I remember a lot of rules, a lot of what I couldn't do, um, all of those kinds of things. I remember a lot of hellfire and brimstone. Um, I was born in Washington, D.C., but I'm a product of North Carolina. Um, I was raised in uh, Johnston County, just outside of Raleigh. And so growing up in a rural environment, there was a lot of fear-based, a lot of a lot of that, a lot of God as angry. Right. And I always say that I was angry because I was made in the image of God. And that's what I thought right. what I was. Right. So, um, <laughs> even as a Christian, yeah. I, I remember teaching fifth and sixth grade. And one of my students went to his parents and said, Mom, Miss Felicia doesn't like me. She's always so mean to me. She And when his mother confronted me, I was crushed. Right. But there was a lot of truth, not in the fact that I didn't like the boy, right. but that my demeanor, everything about me was just mean. It was, and right. and I talk about this, um, even in Truth Encounters, the way Truth Encounters is structured is kind of part memoir, part inner healing, because that's really how I came to wholeness was through inner healing modalities. And, um, but rage and violence were friends of mine. They were friends. Say that again. Who? Rage and violence. Yes. Okay. Were friends of mine. Right. Right. Um, and what love did when love crashed into me was to help me unclench my fingers from rage and from violence. Right. And to learn how to live and move in a way that did not rely on those two power structures. Because right. there's a a sense of, um, and you talk in, in your book, you know, God is not in control about just that illusion of control, right? right? Yeah. But I think fear also gives us the illusion of control. And fear is often expressed in rage and violence. And it was for me, giving me that sense of control. And so um, when I encountered Father's love in such a deep way, and it started touching those places, um, I think if I strip it all away, what ended up happening is one, I encountered a God that I could trust. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A God that was and is not disappointed in me. Wow. That is not afraid of my character defects or my brokenness. And I think a lot of times what we've tried to do is um, cut off the things that we think are wrong with us to to hide it, yeah, to mask right. it. I, I always say that, you know, guilt and shame are detractors from empathy. Uh-huh. And that's true individually as it is collectively. Yeah. And so if there's a sense of shame or a sense of guilt, it becomes almost like armor yeah. that keeps the love of God from invading, from permeating, from doing the healing work yeah. that only love can do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, um, and that's what Truth Encounters is. It literally is the story of me letting the armor down, allowing love to come in and to soften all of the hard places and um, to give me new mores, new bearing, you know? Wow. So it started there. So by the time we moved from learning to live in love, to move and have my being in love, yeah. then when spirit offered that invitation to me, 
it, it was a no brainer. Like it was easy. But again, I did not realize that this would be a constant <laughs> unfolding, a constant evolution. I, I thought it was an ask. And the thing that's so crazy, Jason, is I literally was, I was watching how this happened. I was watching TV and I was listening to one of my favorite ministers at the time and they said something. And, and I always tell people I, I have a little bit of everything in my religious background, but right. I'm primar- primarily charismatic Pentecostal. Yep. Yep. So as I'm watching, I heard Spirit say to me, do you believe that? To something that the minister has said. Right. And the first time I heard it, I ignored the, the wind of it. And then, you know, the minister kept speaking and I heard it again. And so finally I went, in response back, huh, do you believe that? Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to answer this question, but let me start there. Do you believe that? Wow. And I felt like Spirit said to me, I believe that that's true to him where he is right now. Wow. There's a lot of grace in that thought right there, isn't there? A lot of grace, right? Wow. And so to the point that like, I ended up, you know, after the video finished that I was watching, um, going for a walk in my neighborhood. And it was on that walk where Spirit said, Felicia, what I want you to do is I want you to hand to me everything that you believe to be true about God. And let me hand back to you what is true. Wow. That's a relational convert. That is, that's such a relational God and a good place to be. Yeah. Wow. uh, So it's been a slow journey of, okay, well, what about this? What do you believe about this? Well, what, right. what have I believed about? Okay, well, show me the origins of this. Where yeah. where was this rooted in someone else's fear that they built a theology off? Yeah. Where was this rooted in what someone learned in seminary that someone else taught them based on something else yeah. that may have been true to them, right, yeah. at that time, yeah. but isn't necessarily big T true? Yeah. And I know that the spirit will guide me into big T true. Yeah. You know? And so. I had a, a moment like that 13 years ago. I have talked about it often on the podcast um, where, you know, when, when God, and I, my background's similar, uh, charismatic. I've, I've, I've been in all the flavors, but that's tends to be where, where I, I've spent most of my time. And essentially when God asks you a question, you know, is this possible? Uh, you know, he's actually suggesting, uh, yeah, that, right. that this is a good thought, Jason. But 13 years ago, that, that was essentially what I did. I, I handed all of my certainties to him, and and the, there was there was only one certainty left: that he loved me, that his love was good, that it looked like Jesus, and and that I could trust that. And um, and the brilliant thing, and the same thing, I, I would wouldn't had a clue that. 13, 14 years later, I'd be poking at some, some, you know, you, you, you revisit all these things. You, re, you revisit what you believe about uh, how you approach scripture, what you believe about uh, the, this life or the next life, and what justice looks like. And, and, and you step on a lot of toes along the way. I don't know if you stepped on a lot of toes uh, or not, but um, I, I wrote down, I actually was going to quote back to you, guilt and shame become detractors of empathy prohibits us from owning the truth. I think that's what you, you said in another interview. And um, I love that in that relational context, 
and this is this is the thought I, I had while you were talking. God reminded me of the the sower and how uh, I'd always viewed it through the lens of you know seventy five percent of uh, of our soil is pretty bad. That was all the way, always the way I had been taught to view it. So you better clean up your soil today, you know. Uh, and then suddenly you start viewing it through the nature of of the reconciling love of God, and you realize that this sower sows this measureless, like as though he has a measureless amount of seed, and he sows it everywhere. Everywhere gets seed. So he's either a really bad sower, or there's something else going on, a really bad farmer. And and I remember the day that I, I felt Holy Spirit and share the, that that parable this way that um that when the seed fell on the path before the birds could scoop it up the seed was so powerful that it transformed the nature of the soil and it became rocky and then and then again uh when it fell on the rocky soil it became weedy and eventually it became good soil and i've talked about that a few times for me what, what went off in my heart was the nature of love is so transformative is so so absolute in, in 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 his goodness that no soil can stand up to it. Eventually, all soil is transformed. And what that did when I when that burst in my heart is it made it made it safe for me to walk beside people uh, with different ideas uh, and be able to navigate. And, and to navigate their certainties, to navigate their insecurities, uh, and to be able to walk with them knowing that if I just live as an expression of love, that the, the nature of love uh, will transform. It, the family is the long game, if that makes sense. Have you, have you run into that? The, the freedom that you had from coming into trust uh, allows for you to then revisit some of these places that are could be quite unnerving otherwise. Yeah, I I totally ran into that. I I think part of my wiring, because of my background growing up and things, safety and control is very huge for me. I'm I'm an Enneagram eight, so I yeah I saw that very very well. My kids know <laughs> that I'm very honest about when I'm afraid. I do control. Yeah, and um and so I. So certainty for me have been like pillars. I talk a lot about like I feel like um, what happened is his spirit just came with a wind and like Samson and just pushed them over, yeah. and the whole thing kind of collapsed. Yeah. And when that happened, because of some situational relational things that happened around that, I could have easily walked away from all of it. Yeah. What anchored me was having had the experience of love transforming me. Yeah. I knew Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were as real as my breath, right? Nothing is yeah. yeah. like, you know, in the biblical narrative when it says it's, it's like a seal that's been set upon my heart, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that I know that I know that I know, like the goodness of God, I know that I know that I know that I have tasted and seen a love that is true. Yeah. Yeah, I know that it's rooted in that Trinitarian relationship, right? And so, so, but what happened when the certainties fell over? I remember specifically. I'll share this example. I was um, been graced with four beautiful children, and when our oldest right. daughter went to Yale, um, she had a lot of queer friends, and they would, you know, come home 
on um, vacation and things like that. And we loved them. There was nothing there. There wasn't any, but I was loving them from the love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. Right, right. I never preached or judged them or said anything. Um, Even some of the language and truth encounters probably is written different than how I necessarily have come to believe now. Um, but that's what I knew at the time. Yeah, and sure. So I remember asking God, like, I need to know what you believe about homosexuality. Like, I, I need to know. And yeah. I was still coming at it from this pillar of certainty. Yeah. Forcing God to tell me what was true because I wanted to be on the side of truth. Sure. And I need to be certain about the sure. truth in this matter. Yeah. And so I'm pressing in, pressing in, just asking the question. And one day I felt like Spirit said to me, Felicia, I am more for people hmm. than I am for credo. And, or some people say credo, but that C R E D O, that belief system, that right. structure of beliefs. Wow. I'm more for people. People matter. Wow. People matter yeah. more wow. than what you want to believe yeah. more than anyone wants to believe. Yeah. I am more for people. And I realized in that moment that all of my certainties were anchored in belief yeah. and not in loving people, not in humanity, not in seeing people. And all of a sudden, couple that with, um, that was an entry point. I tell people this all the time. For me, that was an entry point into inclusion and affirmation in a bigger way. Yeah. And, um, and one day during an advent, I asked God the question of what was a treasure of the incarnation through the eyes of Jesus? What was a treasure of the incarnation? And spirit said back to me, empathy. And (laughs) I was, whoa, I was blown away. Wow. And because what happened is. My third point on that, I'll give you three. With Doug being at Habitat, um, he started doing a lot of interfaith things. They would do what was called an Abrahamic build. Um, Doug was the director of global faith engagement when he was at Habitat. And so they would have rabbis and imams and pastors come together and lead their you know, different groups of uh, faith traditions and a build together, all yeah. based around this idea that Abraham is our father. Yeah, And that was an invitation into the interfaith community of Atlanta. Yeah, And we started seeing all different people of all different faiths just be together yeah. in their humanity. Yes. Really respecting one another, not trying to convert. No one was a project or an yeah. agenda. Yeah. It was just humanity. Yes. And I had to hand to spirit. Something that I had believed to be true. Yeah. And allow spirit to give back to me what part of that was true and what part was something that had just been fed to me, maybe based on fear or maybe based on prejudice or what whatever it was based on. But it wasn't necessarily big T true. Yeah. And so I think I've been just in this beautiful dance when I rub up against something that may cause me to anchor down into control or anchor down into certainty and say, wait, am I doing this because I'm afraid? Yeah. And is this an invitation to, okay, spirit, yeah. I'm, I'm unclenching my fist around these things. 
and handing them to you. Now you give back to me what is true. So good. So good. And it's, and it's so um, scary. Uh, folks, listen, it's, it's yes. very scary because I mean, the, maybe the biggest question I get over the last five years is what about sin? As though, as though it isn't a problem, as though I'm not aware that it's a problem. <laughs> as, uh, what about, what about, and, and it's a real issue because it is, it, it's, it's the wages of sin is death. Of course, that's a problem. And, and so it's a scary conversation we're having for folks. Uh, but it's, it's this invitation. It's this invitation, what you talked about. Somehow, somehow Jesus was convinced. He was convinced that, that, that if he laid his life down, that love was sovereign and that, that love was the nature, that the self-giving, other-centered love was the nature of true power that was transformative, that would actually lead to life. He valued humanity at a level, you know, when I wrote God is not in control, everybody wanted to know how God wins in the end. How does he win in the end if he isn't in control? I said, he already won at the cross. And he did it so upside down. He laid his life down, and that is what did it. But boy, to yeah. live in that place uh, is is the, the only way that you live there. And this is this is the thing that I I just want to be better at every day. Is that, my, and some days I I am pretty good at it, but not every day. But if I could wake up this morning more convinced in his affection, uh, more aware of his love. But I think about winning in that manner of of you know winning at the end because we're still seeing it there through it a hierarchical yeah. lens and so we want to know who comes out on top right yep and you know i think even even when jesus came the incarnation in itself to show the relationship you yep. know i think about john 17 and when jesus is praying and he's like oh righteous father that they might be one like you and i are one yeah you know that eternal life is to know jesus yeah. Yeah. To know the father and the one he sent right it yep. is this Again, this knowing, this dance of self-giving love, of other-centeredness, yeah. of mutuality, this reciprocity of being in relationship. And yeah. that, I think, is is the win when we can be in relationship together and own these places where it's not perfect, but we're here. Yeah. You know, we're incarnate in love. Yeah. So I love that. And then the, what that looks like um I, I, we could talk about hierarchy. I think you and I are tracking the same road. I don't. I don't see any of it in the nature of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, and He invited us into that. Jesus was fully human, so so I don't see hierarchy. I, I know it works in the world of dualism. I understand uh, that um, that punishment is a good deterrent, and in, in at times. Um, but it isn't in the nature of Jesus, and it isn't what it wasn't at the cross. There was no in or out at the cross, no us or them, no for or against. That was not what was taking place there. So um, you could speak to that, and I, I know when you in these last years you've begun to speak to racial issues, but through the lens of the Trinity, through the lens of no hierarchy, through the lens of reconciliation, where you recognize uh, both the the deep wounds uh and in fact uh, there's a phrase that you made you stated i want to read it um if i can find it i have all kinds of notes <laughs> <laughs> i see that you're a well prepared here jason i see it. uh you talk about hold anger or fear but not be driven by it uh, and that was partly in line with this conversation um 
And I think some of that was connected to, to your past and in other areas too. But, but then you told a story about asking our friend, Paul, um, uh, Paul Young about, uh, and this stood out to me and uh, this excites my heart because it's such a needed conversation and it has to be had through the lens of reconciliation. So you asked Paul, I think it was you that asked, or someone asked Paul, and he told you this, and I'll let you finish the story, if there was anything he would have removed from the shack. Uh, and um, he referenced the bloodstain, essentially that there was a bloodstain in the cabin at the beginning of the shack. It wasn't there at the end of the shack. And if he could go back and change anything in the book, he would keep that bloodstain there because he didn't want to expunge or pretend what had happened hadn't happened. But, uh, but wanted to recognize that that actually could become the testimony of who God really is. Uh, and I feel like you have, you're navigating the issues of racism and, and systemic racism. Could you speak to that? Maybe I'll, I'll let you talk a little and then jump in. But yeah. And it was someone asked Paul that question. And it just, it struck me so much. Um, when he said that, and again, having, I've practiced so many different healing, inner healing modalities. And often, um, even the way we approach those is to, is to cut off or to um, try to act as if something no longer exists. Yeah. And, and so I, I've been just inside of Paul's words with that and that whole thought for a very, very long time of him talking about, you know, the one thing that he would change is he would put the blood stain back on the floor. And um, and I'm thinking alongside of that from 12 steps. And I, I am not blessed or burdened to be um, a 12 stepper, but my dad was um, and a recovery. Well, he was he was an alcoholic for a number of years and then became sober in 1987. Um, and so but the first step of 12 steps. 12 step program of recovery is just to admit. And, you know, when you admit, you are admitted. Yeah, that's my teacher Jim Finley always says. And so I, I think what we have now is we have, again, back to the shame and the guilt, we have a lot of people who want to wipe away the stain without admitting that a stain exists. Yeah. And I don't think we get to healing without truth. Yeah, that's good. You know, and every invitation that spirit has ever given me has always been um, into the places within myself that hurt, that have been broken, that have been wounded. And there in those places, infinite mercy has met with loving kindness. Yeah. But I don't get to healing or transformation if I'm living in denial. And so I have to own both the wound and my responsibility and my complicitness to whatever I'm holding. And then inside of that, I begin to have a dance with love that reveals truth. And once truth is revealed, it allows me to move and live and be in different ways. And you were talking about, you know, sin, and people always ask that question, you know, what about yeah. sin? What about yeah. sin? Yeah. And this issue of racism is certainly an issue that we could say um, has its roots in sin. Yeah. Um, and sin just being missing the mark. Yeah. And so 
you know, when you talk about sin, one of the things I know to be true of the divine, every place that is in opposition to love, love comes with that fiery, fiery love. Yeah, yeah. Which also is an invitation. If you get too close to a roaring fire, you will totally get burned and annihilated. And if you stay too far away from a fire, you cannot be warmed at all. Yeah. And so there's an invitation and there's a nuance and there's a dance, right? And spirit, this is why spirit leads us into all truth. And also why I believe wheat and tares grow together (laughs) because spirit is the great harvester and spirit knows when to, when it's time for the tares to come up and what tares need to be uprooted and when. Right. And so, you know, there's a dance to that, but as we are allowing ourselves to get quiet enough to be vulnerable about the places that are hurt, that are broken, that are missing the mark of love, then inside of that quiet, we can hear the invitation of spirit. And And I believe that the last few years have been a roaring invitation yeah. from love to address these things. Yeah. And what has happened is guilt and shame and fear become detractors. Emmanuel Aiko says, denial is don't even know I'm lying. He <laughs> uses it like an acronym. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if we do not admit the truth, yeah. then we are lying. Yeah. You know? Wow. But how we get to the way of our being is to get still enough to hear the truth of spirit and then to say yes in participation with that, both individually and collectively, you know? Yeah. Guys, the book is out, Leaving and Finding Jesus. I'm so excited about it. In this book, we trade a punishing God for reconciling love. We exchange the lens of retribution for the transforming revelation of God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself wherever you are on the journey. I really believe this book will encourage you. So it's available now on Amazon or at our website, familystory.org. Buy it. Buy multiple copies. Share it. And then do me a favor. If it's blessed you, write a review on Amazon. Guys, I'm so thankful for you. So thankful to be on this journey with you. Praying life and joy and wonder over you today. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Probably, I know you can speak specifically uh, over these last years too to to what we're looking at in the context of uh, systemic racism. And you know, as a uh, a white man, I'll say this: I've had these conversations with my son. He's a he's out of Bethel now. He's a twenty one year old. I'm so proud of him. And, I love that smile, and, uh, proud dad. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, and, but when we were, we'd work out and he was 18, he's an eight on the Enneagram too. So he would, at times he would, we'd have these conversations and he's a, he's a, you know, he's a thinker and he would be like, dad, I'm 18 year old. And it would be, what would be happening, I would realize is that guilt and shame or condemnation and shame had been wrapped over the, the conversation around race. And so he was, he was immediately starting in the defensive posture. And, and saying, I'm, you know, my best friend's black, you know, I'm not, 
and, and I'd have to stop and have to dismantle fear. I'd have to dismantle shame, dismantle condemnation so that we could then begin to look at the impact of systemic racism. And one of the ways that you helped, and I wish I'd had this three years ago when we were having these conversations, I had the spirit of it, but you put language to it in a way that I, I hadn't at the time because that word racism has a, it's potent uh, and should be, and it's, it's an ugly thing, but it's a potent word that has so much, like you said, guilt and shame attached to it that the, that the natural response is to want to expunge or pretend or ignore or, or wash away, or let's, let's move on instead of addressing it. And, 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 and um, even to the, the point where, you know, his argument at the time was, um, I'm being told as a, as only white people can be racist. And so we would have to navigate this. Uh, and you clarified that and gave language to that in a way that really helped. You used this word. You said, all of us have prejudice. We all can participate with prejudice. But prejudice with power is the nature of a systemic racism. And that black people have never had power. And, and, uh, and, and, and we were having those conversations, but I did not have that language. And when I, when I heard you articulate that, I thought, oh, that is so helpful to dismantle that condemnation and shame and be able to have a conversation in which we can really truly look at this for the purpose of understanding, uh, of reconciliation, for the purpose of a future and a hope. I'd love for you to maybe articulate, we can speak thoroughly on this subject yeah i i think the the biggest thing with especially being we've been in florida almost four months and it's been interesting being in florida <laughs> um yeah and and overall the prevailing atmosphere is laden with fear you can feel it yeah you can feel it yeah yeah um yeah and what i know to be true when people are afraid, they do anything to self-protect. But also fear roars in such a way that it shuts your ears from really hearing. Yeah. And so I think what happens is- Cut you off from empathy, like you said. Yes. Yes, which is what I would see happening in, in those conversations with my son. I'd have to be constantly going back to, wait, let's think through the lens of empathy. Anyway, I didn't want to interrupt you. Carry on. Yes. No, go for it. Yes. That, I mean, it's so, one of the hardest things to do is um, sometimes to sit on your hands and actually hear what's being said without feeling like it's you, 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 and it's being pointed at you. Yeah. And so the first thing I've noticed a lot of people say, because what they're feeling is attacked, is they go, well, I'm not racist or I can't be held responsible for something sure. my ancestors did that I have nothing to. And it's all a defensive, defensive. Yep. Yep. you know, position that happens. And so, so when the defense comes up, then under that is this language of, well, all they, so it becomes us and them. So yep. what all they want is to assume power and yep. if they get power. We're going to lose our freedom, whether that's right. guns or, you know, the pro-life issue or the, sure. you know, yes, yeah. affirming yeah. or whatever, it feels like this fear creates this day and the, and we go to a scarcity mindset yeah. and in scarcity mindset, because we've, we've been taught hierarchy where there's 
small at the yep. top of power. Only so many people can be in power and everyone else is down below. Then what happens is we're going to do everything to protect this. And it gets very subversive. And one of, one of the things for me, I never want to negate personhood and the beauty of biodiversity and all the ecosystems and things. I, I don't think the divine would have created such beautiful, yeah. beautiful, vibrant diversity of people, of plants, of fish, of pets, right. of everything. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't intentional. I think it was intentional. And so even in celebrating our sameness and our oneness and common humanity, for me, and A-N-D is the thread of love, right? And it is what stitches us together. So yeah. it doesn't have to be divided or fragmented or cut off. It's and. It's yeah. the unique uniqueness of personhood and biodiversity and our common humanity. That's so good. And inside of that, when you talk about Jesus being the Alpha and Omega, I'm going to math nerd out because <laughs> I just can't. Do it. But the only way a point can be both the beginning and the end is when you take a little thing and you draw a circle. Right. Like the point starts here, we go around in a circle, yeah. and we get back to that point. That's how alpha can equal omega. And so when I look at a circle, then everyone standing on this circle has power, right? There's no like first and last or back to that scripture, the first shall be last and the last shall be oh, first. I love it. How do I get there? Not by inverting power or some type of subversiveness. I get there because of a circle. I love that. So what happens now if instead of building on top of people and creating caste and creating dominance and supremacy, I dismantle that system, right? And I look at the circle. Right. And I look at the perichoretic mutuality that happens in a circle where you are powerful and I'm powerful and we have empathy and we're grounded and we're present and we're vulnerable. And I love it. Love is the structure that governs this freedom. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And I realize that that sounds very idealistic in some ways, sure. but I believe it's the heart of God. Yeah. And I also know that where we are right now, as love is transforming hearts and changing minds, we also need policies and systems That's and right. things to be changed. Yeah. And what I want more than anything is I want people to consider the most marginalized person that they can think of in their community. Yeah. And to listen to their stories, to listen to their life, to see how local policies and things are affecting them. With, without the rhetoric of, oh, they just this or they just that or they're lazy or, you know, any, any of that, you know, and to consider with empathy how maybe some things that we've been blind to help this person get into the position that they are. And then with that type of and I and I go back to Jesus, you know, the, the story is not Jesus, but the story and the narrative where the person that worked the least got the same amount of money as the person who started earlier. And, and I'm just thinking about the heart of God. What is the heart of God for humanity? What does that look like to really live that empathetically? 
I mean, the first thing you do as a parent, it's the thing that you probably work on the most that we work on the most is empathy. It's, it's, it's constantly, it's the evidence of maturity as well. That you're, you're constantly trying to put your son and your, and your daughter's, you know, your inner sister's shoes. You're constantly trying to, to put yourself in that perspective because in, in those shoes, you, it, it, it really does. It opens your heart to how God thinks and how he moves. And, um, I love the, uh, I was telling somebody the other day about the last shall be first and the first shall be last in the context we were talking about hierarchy. And I said, it doesn't work, does it? I mean, it, uh, if you have a hierarchical understanding of this, it's just, you're just going to get dizzy because the moment that you're last, you're first, what's the goal? I don't know what the goal is. What if the goal is to, is that love knows that sometimes you go last and sometimes you go first, whatever's most going to serve the community, what's most going to, uh, what if that's what uh, he's talking about? When you talk about the circle, my, I found a poem in my grandmother's Bible years ago. <clears throat> um, she lived to be a hundred. It's amazing. And, 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 she was doing the rethinking way, way back then. Isn't that the journey? We're constantly rediscovering and rethinking. And she was the first, my book prone to love was, I found, ended up titling it after her, her revelation that she was not prone to wander. She was prone to love. And, and in her Bible, I found this poem by Edward Markham. I didn't know it at the time. It had been printed out. It fell out every marked up Bible. And it's this right here. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. And and uh, I, I get chills every time I read it. I, I because it's the nature of a circle that is constantly bringing people in. It's a, it, you draw bigger circles. It's there's a, and I'm convinced that that's what was taking place at the cross. That that uh, Christ was saying, you can draw circles. You can draw us in them circles all day long, and I'll just draw a bigger one. <laughs> I'll just keep drawing bigger circles. Yeah, uh, and, yeah and, it just expands and expands and expands. And I think of kenosis and that self-emptying, and I'm always, one of the images that I keep before me is that of a water wheel, you know? And so you have this filling in and then this emptying out, and it fills in and it empties out. And as the, you know, things fill in and empty out, it generates energy yeah. and there's yeah. this flow of life that happens. And so yeah. what happens when we turn face to face to face with love and we're filled in with love and then we empty out into the world and, yeah. you know, the people around us and then we fill in and we empty out, you know? And so yeah. recently I was sharing and um, the first thing that I, I said when I, when I went to share is what I want to talk about is a mountain right? And I said, we're all sitting here today and there's this mountain and I'm standing on one side and I'm looking at this mountain and I begin to describe what I see. And everything that I'm saying is true because that's true to me. This is what I see out my eye gate. You're standing to the left of me, 40 degrees to my left. And you start describing what you see. We're staring at the same mountain, (laughs) 40 degrees to my left. You start describing something. And, you know, 35 degrees to my right, somebody else starts describing something. But then the person to my left and my right start arguing about how this is not true and that's not true because this isn't what they see. We're all staring at the same thing. Yeah, We have to allow for a certain grace of where you are in your journey and what you see. I love that. I love that, Felicia. Yeah. And I I, uh, had a break in that meeting 
and someone came up to me and they started talking about how when they found out that I was coming to speak, they didn't want me there because um, I had been sharing some things about race and I'd written a poem. um, And I assume they were talking about a poem that I had written for the Center for Action and Contemplation called Silence. Um, And so they didn't want me there because they thought I was going to be coming to talk about Black Lives Matter. Okay. And they began to tell me about their childhood growing up and how they were bullied by Black people. Okay. And, you know, different things. And so for them, they just couldn't understand this mantra or what it meant or whatever. Yeah. I could tell that what this person wanted from me was agreement. Sure. Right? Sure. And I I couldn't offer them agreement. Yeah. That would not be true to who I was. That's right. But I could offer them space for that to be true to them because of their journey and where they were. Wow. And so I just listened. Yeah. And after they shared with me, I took a really deep breath and I said, thank you for sharing your journey with me. Yeah. I waited a few pauses and then they got up and, you know, moved on. And I, but if I'm going to believe in the mountain and that what I'm looking at is what I see and what someone 40 degrees from me looking at is what they see, they're encountering different based on where they're standing, where they are, then I have to allow, I have to allow, allow, allow. And one of the things I know about spirit Spirit joins us in the places where we are. Isn't that good? And allows. Yeah. And allows. Yeah. My teacher Jim Finley says that God protects us from nothing, even as God sustains us in all things. Shoot. Allow. So allow. Good. Allow. So good. And yet, even as these things are being allowed, there's an invitation to come into big T truth, to come into wholeness, to come into a place where this and this and yours 35 degrees to my right can stand beside each other and have a thread right yeah um yeah and so i what i hope in my heart is that particularly with the church yeah because you see it not just with racism we're seeing it now with this big word with deconstruction every you know it's everything that creates fear is bad yep it's all bad and so and we want to cut off and get rid of everything that we don't understand. Yeah. And we don't know how to allow. Um, and so I hope that as the church, we can get to a place where we trust spirit enough with ourselves and with other people and trust the fire of love, that love will burn away all that opposes That's love's it. kind and bring us all to wholeness. Yeah. You know, without feeling like we're responsible for controlling the work of love my goodness and and what you've just said there that story felicia those are the leaders that i'm that that i can follow like those are the people i'm looking for that i i think to be quite frank some of this deconstruction movement is is people looking searching for for folks that are trustworthy that will make room for their journey um with an there is an objective truth gravity is a real thing Uh, we can we can put our swing our legs over the bed in the morning and there's an objective truth they will go they will go earthward what if the objective truth is cruciform love and and what if and what if there's an awakening taking place to this right here those are the people that 
I, the book I just finished is Leaving and Finding Jesus just came out. It's an ama- It's about the Emmaus Road. And, and the idea is that Jesus doesn't have an ego, that he doesn't need you to know his name or say a certain prayer. He's going to walk beside you on whatever road you're on for the purpose of revealing resurrection life and who he truly is. And he's going to hide himself while he walks beside you. So your preconceived certainties and ideas don't get in the way of the encounter and the, the revelation, the stewarding of the burning. And what you just talked about is that to me is what you just did with that person. You're able to have a conversation with them, much like Jesus, walk beside them on their road, val- value their journey, value their humanity, that where they are in this place, trusting that love is, is reconciling all things and then walking beside them. You don't have to have them come into an agreement with even the objective truth, because the objective truth is always true. It's still true whether they get it today or they get it tomorrow or they get it, you know, and this is where I get myself in trouble, where they get it in the next life. I, I'm i okay with that. If love is reconciling, then he's reconciling and time isn't bigger than love. This is what's gotten me in trouble lately. <laughs> I bet it has. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that a beautiful thing? That, in that, there too, that, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I bet you have. I bet you have. I'm so thankful. Um and, and this is what's exciting. So, and, and, and maybe we, I won't go into it in depth because we're running up against our time here, but, but I'm in this journey where we are right now because of that, what I just shared that got us pushed out of a place. And, um, but what it did also was it, it allowed for me, because I'm such a relational guy, we were launching the podcast at the same time. And, and I would have probably stayed away from certain subjects if I knew I was stepping on toes just because I'm, I'm, I'm wired in a way where I'm, I'm, we're doing the journey together, but suddenly I was unaffiliated and, and, and what happened was I, uh, I couldn't have anyone on I wanted. And what I've discovered in the last three years, and I'm so thankful for it is that there's the Felicia Merle that is, uh, that's out there. There's the people, the folks that I've been running into that, that are convinced in this objective or the capital T truth, as you're saying, that is a, a love that they don't have to defend or, 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 or beat someone over the head with that they can walk beside everyone in their journey. And, uh, that's what I can trust. And I think that's what we're, we're, I think we're in a moment and I'd be curious of this and maybe we got to talk tacos in a second, but, but I'd be curious of what you think. I, th- I feel like, um, COVID, uh, some of the political stuff, all the, it, it's ex, almost been an expedited process of of coming through and and looking for that capital T. I think there's this, you know, for me, the, this deconstruction, I didn't like the word deconstruction, but I don't get a say in what we're going to call something. You know, Christians didn't, that was originally a derogatory term. So we just embraced it and said, all right. <laughs> so, but, but the point is, is that I, I want to pastor the people that are navigating or, or love on or however you, whatever you want, the people that are navigating that because they're just as much sons and daughters. But I think we're in a moment where the church, the, and my heart's for the church. It's God's idea for the church, you know, the bride to 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 come into an awakening of of a of a, of a objective truth about the the nature of the love of God that can be trusted. Because up till now, I think part of this de- most of this deconstruction movement is because we're not trustworthy. We've been teaching hierarchy. We've been teaching dualism. We've been participating in punishment, and we uh, we've been championing it. We've been uh, as much. Uh, uh, um, 
we've been almost one of the loudest voices for it. And you can't trust that. And so I'm curious what you're seeing. That's a lot of talking. I just did a lot of talking. <laughs> I, you know, what? I'm with you. I'm just, I'm nodding my head. And I honestly, I think that if love does not transform our heart, then deconstruction becomes a rupture, yeah. right? And I, I think about um, a woman in labor. Yeah. And when you resist the work, the natural process of labor, what ends up happening a lot is a woman will tear during the process or there'll be some type of rupture that happens. Um, an outward sign that at some point during this process, you have worked against your body instead of working right. with it. Right. Wow. And so if we take fundamental people who leave the faith, deconstruct whatever language they're using, often the way they have done is just taken their fundamentalism into this idea of deconstruction. Yes. Yep. And that's right. just as vengeful and hateful and fundamentalist in, yep, that's in, right. in yep. this way. They didn't there's something that happens in transformation. And I do believe, I mean, I say Jen of the Cross is just one of my favorite people to read. And when St. John of the Cross, Meister Eckhart, St. Teresa of Avila, these people went through deconstruction. So deconstruction yeah. is not a new thing. It may be a, no. you know, a word of today, but the process itself is not a new thing. No. And it is just really a letting go of this scaffolding, a detachment from all those things so that we can be born again, so yeah. that resurrection might happen. Yeah. And, um, that's good. I think it was St. John of the Cross who says, God kills the soul to resurrect her. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and really, that's what's happening. There's a, there is a filleting of all these things, right? But if we take our ego and all the things that we, that we hold to be true and certain and dear into this process, then have we really deconstructed? Yeah. Why are we just angry? Yeah, that's right. We're just yeah. reacting. Yep, yep. And so I think it's that model that scares a lot of people. And again, then when you get scared and your response is, yep. oh, this is trash and oh, this is not God and oh, this is not the work of God, instead of humbly listening yeah, or even just asking spirit, spirit, where are you in this process? Yep. And allowing spirit to hand to you what's true instead of speaking against it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I see this, I see it really as an invitation to evolve, to unfold. And I think because we have relied so much on certainty, we have not allowed for a faith that walks in relationship with love in the unfolding of mystery. That's so good. Yeah. For me, that's all faith is. That's all faith I is. am hand in hand face to face to face with Father, Spirit, and Jesus. And I am just allowing life to unfold, allowing the mysteries of life to unfold as I participate with love. So you know, good. And that's a different picture than, than certainty. Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know my today. I don't know my tomorrow. I don't, people ask, you know, what does restoration look like with racism? What do you want to happen? I don't know. Yeah. What I want is for hearts to be healed. Yeah. That's that is my heart because I feel like if I create a picture in my mind of what this is supposed to look like, then what happens is if it doesn't look like that, I'm disappointed. Wow. Yeah. And I have spent the last 
few years very disappointed in people because they didn't respond in the way that I thought the way of love would respond from them. Yeah. And so even in that, I have had to hand to spirit all those people that I love and that I thought loved me, but then said some things that just made me cry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And and defended positions that I never thought believers would defend. Right. And that too is for grace because that's a journey that they have to go on with love. I cannot force them to come to my side of the mountain. Right. And so I have to allow, allow, allow. So good, Felicia. You know? Yeah. And the same, whether it's the race thing, the deconstruction thing, the yeah. all of it. I there's a place of surrender yeah. um, that has to happen. And my husband always says, My job as a pastor was to take your hand, to put it in Holy Spirit's hand, and to leave it there. <laughs> Do I trust love yeah. with you as wow. much as I trust love with me? Wow. And I need the answer to that to be yes, or yeah. I don't really trust love. Wow. That is so powerful. That's it right there. That is, whew, that's, uh, there's some juice on that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll preach uh, a hundred different ways. I, and I know the journey. Um, I don't, I can't say I know yours, but I, I on my own, I, I um, to be able to release people, it's easier to release a stranger than yeah. those that you've, done life with and navigated with and, and know you and, um, and, and yet it's the same journey. It's what you said. Do I trust love? Do I trust love? And, uh, man, that's, that's the, that's the, uh, good news though, that love is trustworthy and that is faith and the mystery of faith. So I'm, I, I, we could do this for another hour, I know, but I think we could. <laughs> but uh, but I, I want to respect your time, and I, I'm so glad that we we were able to to connect this way. And um, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. I, I'm really honored. A couple, uh, we're called Rethinking God with Tacos. So I don't know if you've heard the podcast or not, but we do talk tacos a little bit at the end. Uh, the the joke uh, was that I'm not an academic. I don't want to be taken too seriously and that was a way, way to to do it um but uh you a taco person bonafide taco lover <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> well that's good because you know that's the only place where i we find separate you know <laughs> just, just kidding i only have a whole instagram page dedicated to food i love love do you food, especially tacos yes. do you really you, what's do. the what's the instagram page it's B-F-E-Z Foodie, F-O-O-D-I-E. Wow. I'm going to go check it. I'm going to go follow. <laughs> what, what's your What's your yeah. favorite? Uh, you don't have to talk tacos. Like, what's, are you, do you hit restaurants? Is that what you do? I, I do restaurants. I am a white tablecloth fine dining person. I do okay. really like fine dining. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I love a hole in the wall. And I find uh-huh. them, like that's how I when Doug and I travel, that's how I find my way through a city. I make a list of local coffee shops. I don't do a lot of oh my God. restaurants. I usually find local restaurants and that's what I do. So my wife would love you. That's what she does. That's her uh, in yeah. fact I say that if you want Karen to remember an event, have good food there. 
Can't commit to food. There you go. Yeah. If there's a good yeah. meal, she'll literally say to me, she'll be like 25 years ago. She's like, you remember that time we met so-and-so uh, in, in the Western New York little town? I'm like, what? She's like, no, we stopped at that pizza joint and they had, and she'll tell you about the, and I'm like, I yes. don't, but that's how she, if I'm like, yes. you want her to remember you. Yes. For me, yeah. food is the vehicle to communion. It just, yeah. and I we went to Vegas <laughs> a couple of years ago and we were off the strip, but there was this like hole in the wall taco shop. Everything yeah, yeah. was in Spanish. So I couldn't, I literally had my phone out to put, put in, you know, Spanish names, trying to figure out what tacos I was ordering. Nice. The only thing I recognized was carne asada and al pastor. So sure. I got those two and then I would be like, okay, let me type this in. Let me try this. And the tacos were a buck 25. So oh. every night we would finish like two o'clock in the morning, walk down to this hole in the wall taco place and get tacos. Like, I love that. Unapologetic. I was in uh, Austin, Austin, Texas. Same thing. I was there for three nights. I found this taco joint the first night. Look, Austin's a city known for food. All I ate was at that place for three nights. I was like, I don't need to go anywhere else. This place is awesome. So I, I love that. But uh, awesome. Well, um, what are you doing now? Where do we find you? What do you? What does your days look like? Um, oh, my gosh. I Well, vocationally, I am a freelance copy editor. Okay. So my days are always stuck inside of someone's manuscript. Wow. Um, I wish I'd known that a month ago. Yep. So yeah. that is what I do. And, um, and then I am, uh, chatting it up on Facebook all the time. People can follow me there. And then I have Instagram at hello, Felicia, hello, Felicia underscore Merle. Um, I'm there. I not as often, but I am there. I post some poetry and stuff over there. Um, and I am trying to finish editing this book. So that's, that's kind of, you know, that was going to be my last question. What's this? What's this book going to be titled? Yeah. Do you have a title yet? Um, and A N D. Oh yes, that's right. I did know that. Yeah. I, Unless I, my editor rejects it, but <laughs> right now that is that is the title. That's been and has been in my heart probably for the last two years very strongly. Um, and I I went from and the bridge to our return to, but I really think Brad. I feel like love is a master weaver, and and helps us stitch ourselves back to one another. So. That's so good. I, I, I spoke uh, uh, at a church in California a month ago and I, I, it was, the title was yes. And, um, and it was on love. All my messages are, but it was, um, you know, when the comedian, the troop, a, a troop of comedians work together, the, the phrase is yes. And, but it was playing around the nature of his love. His, his love is this good. You need your yes. And people, you know, his love is this good. And then somebody else goes, yes. And, and I think that's what you're running at. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah um, but, but with a whole lot more revelation, I think uh, a whole lot more for us. So, and I, and I really, uh, really do love your writing. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll get the other book as well, but um, yeah. Honored to have you on and so thankful uh, that we got to do this. I think this is going to really encourage a lot of folks, um, but thanks for, Thanks for doing this with me. I appreciate that. Thanks for the invitation to be on today. Hey guys, we're so glad that you are joining us. You can find me, Derek Turner, at rivercharlotte.com. That's my church. And I'm on all the social medias yes. as Pastor Derek T. D-E-R-E-K, Pastor Derek T. I'm also on Twitter uh, at Jason Clark is, uh, and you can find all of these podcasts, including season one, on all of the platforms, Apple, uh, 
Spotify, uh, all the places. All the places. You can also go to afamilystory.org and everything's there. If you sign up for our mailing list, we send out a weekly email that has uh, articles, podcast information, and uh, we also let you know about new books coming out or events that we're uh, connected to. So yeah. uh, like, share, retweet, and uh, and man, if you could write a review, it actually does something for the rankings. It, it, it does, it more yeah. Available, so. But a five-star review, of course. <laughs> yes. You know, if you can't write a five-star review or something, <laughs> Like just don't even write don't, a review. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like if you can't say something nice, don't say anything, don't say at, anything all. at all. I, I like that, and then apply that to this podcast. <laughs> That's my motto. That's I like what it. I do. I love it. <laughs> so love you guys. Appreciate you coming on the ride with us. God bless. <laughs>